Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight, we have our friend, designer David Heron of Disruptor Beam. Perfect. Oh, yes. Okay, cool. Not disrupt, Destructor Beam, not Shrink Ray, Disruptor Beam. Cool. That's Got right. it. We also welcome our friend, Sean Andrich of Gamers with Jobs. That, that's the lesser of the beams, I think. Like, as far as, like, a beam you want on your ship, a Disruptor is kind of weak i don't mind saying it's yeah the I, best beam it's, 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 it's like ftl vendor trash basically like oh man uh, <laughs> disruptor beam oh no i guess well whatever uh, uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh so you're both here by your own request as a matter of fact because you discovered uh that because valkyria chronicles has finally after just short six short years uh been ported over to the pc uh, we're kind of allowed to talk about it on Three Moves Ahead. Not that we're sort, not that we dislike consoles, but a PS3 only game was always probably a little too niche within a niche for uh, Three Moves Ahead. So now that it's on PC, uh, it's rightful home. Uh, we can finally discuss it and rightful home. That's right. That's right. And, and, and it's it's the perfect amount of time. It's when the it's when the bourbon has started getting the, the vanilla notes from the wood, and, but before it becomes a little a little too strong. Yeah, it's been cascaded yeah. on exactly. the PS3. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this thing came out in 2008. Like nobody was waiting for this. Like, I think there was a petition, maybe at some point. Um, and it, so it was, it was, I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned to see it on PC. And that's why I was so excited because I played on the PS3. If you wanted to buy it and play it on the PS3 now, buy a copy, it is actually quite expensive. It's very rare. So to be able to get it on Steam is kind of a big deal. Oh, wow. You can't just like go on Amazon and be like, give me a copy. You can. And and my PS3 copy got taken a long time ago when I left the job. So thanks Obama for making this happen. (laughs) Thanks Obama. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an unusual game, and actually, it's probably one I underappreciated at the time. Uh, I think one of the first things people tend to bring up about it is the art style, right? Is that it's got this um, it, it's got this sort of lovely like hand drawn look um, that's sort of overlaid over the, over the graphics, uh, and it's also got some. If there's an anime trope, this this game misses. I am hard to name one of them, uh, but. Beyond that, and and Troy before the show he he recused himself because he was like the anime eyes are getting to me and they're making me angry, so other people have to talk <laughs> about this game, uh, which is why Troy isn't okay. here. Um, cultural, you know, <laughs> cultural That's materialism right. basically. We're, we're the not racist Canadians. That's <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> so, Troy, you're wonderful. So, but if you get beyond that, it's actually a really really cool and like i said i underrated how good it was it's a really cool uh squad based tactical turn based uh strategy game uh with with a lot of rpg elements um so david why don't you sort of just set the stage for us here uh where this game come from and what what do you do in it like give, give us an example of what you what's what you get up to uh during valkyria chronicles well, I think the first question there is where did it come from? And as far as I can tell, it came from the moon or through like an alternate time time zone or something like that. Um, and you, you mentioned sort of the art style. And when it was first announced, um, it wasn't even really announced as a game. Uh, it was really in the early uh, PS3 uh, generation. And we were in the Xbox 360 had been out for about a year, a year and a half. We had mostly seen... Um, either like up ports or things in, in old engine. We were still sort of in Unreal 2.5. I 
I don't even know if Gears of War had come out. And Sega comes out, um, and there's this, like, watercolor, sort of, like, sketchy thing. And people don't know. Oh, it sort of looks like a comic book. People were... Uh, you guys talked about the War of the Lions, or a show you weren't on, but an earlier episode of 3 in May when they were talking about Final Fantasy Tactics... Um, they had done these sort of like pre-rendered sort of square did uh, similar scenes, but this was in real time. And I think for for me, I remember seeing this as this like really striking thing. Like, okay, this is something that we weren't able to do before. And then when I found out it was a strategy tactics game, I was super excited. At the time, I was making uh, PS3, Xbox 360 games, and and being told, no, you can't do strategy. Strategy won't sell. And so here, this was going to be my, like, oh, this is going to be accessible. This is going to be interesting. This is going to be a whole new wave of strategy games on the PlayStation. And so I bought it. And what you, sort of the role is, um, you, you play this commander of a ragtag bunch of I guess they're military or paramilitary. A lot of teenagers in that in that army, though. They're they're yeah. they're they're college age. They go back to high school in the sequel, so we'll get to that later. But um, so yeah, they go they go from the college years to Saved by the Bell OG. They have the backwards jump, um, and they're sort of like partisan warfare, dirty dozen fighters that they're fighting this sort of evil. Uh, really stand in for Nazis. I don't know. The whole, the whole sort of story has this like loosely world war two Europe. I don't, I don't know. Like the well, map that, that right there is, is where it gets a little interesting there. Right. Because like for a lot of reasons, world war two is a difficult subject for Japanese developers, mm-hmm, I think to mm-hmm. tackle head on, like to, to address like the actual history begins to address a lot of things that remain uncomfortable, uh, in, in Japanese politics today and particularly in Japanese markets, uh, right. today. And um, so their solution here at least is, is to transplant the conflict. So, so basically it is about, you're basically in a, in a thinly disguised, uh, Holland, uh, you can tell because there's windmills just everywhere. Like there's yeah. windmills everywhere in this game, um, and they're your classic, like just a peaceful, sweet little country that's just about to get hammered by these. Yeah, they're they're standings for the Nazis, but it's interesting as well that there's this like medieval motif uh, that's yes. that surrounds these guys. Like the anti-tank troops carry lances into battle with yeah. shooting their rockets. <laughs> right. But so right. the guys have like the classic like German like coal miner Fritz helmet, right? But it's yeah. combined with this Teutonic armor that actually looks pretty cool in the game. It's it, yeah, a cool art it's super cool. But it, it allows them to make a game about World War Two that's definitely not in any way about World War Two. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so when let's, let's talk about game mechanics. So uh, the game is sort of divided up into like little like story vignettes and these little tactical missions. And the tactical missions pit um, one or more uh, of your troops. I think actually the, the smallest it gets to is about four um, uh, against uh, N number of enemies. And that scales from anywhere from like a, a pretty straight up, you know, five on five fight to five on 20 and it, and it sort of escalates and gets kind of wacky and crazy in sort of the Japanese tradition. Um, and you also have a tank <laughs> and, uh, your turn consists of spending command points to activate your unit. So this is pretty, something pretty similar to, I think, uh, pen and paper, like 
pardon me, paper war gamers, where you activate a unit, you do some actions, um, and uh, and then their turn ends and you use another point to activate another unit. What I think makes this really interesting is in between those sorts of turns, those activations, there's a real-time simulation. Um, so the you move around like you would in a third-person shooter game. You pause time to aim and fire, but while this is going on, the enemies are... Uh, are taking you know opportunity shots at you in real time. So the longer you spend standing in front of someone, the more you get shot. Uh, if you sneak up behind someone, you won't get shot. And I think one of the first interesting things is if you're running the game at more than 30 frames per second, you get shot a lot more. Oh shit. Really? Yeah. What? Oh wow. It, is this yeah, a PC version totally, only or Yeah, oh, yeah. it's totally changed the game. It's really interesting. I had no idea. It does make total sense, though. On the PS3, this was not running at 60. I can promise you that. At times, no, so there's some God. value in the Muddy. code that they just left in place. Well, it, it probably links this opportunity to shoot based on every time the, the renderer ticks. And if the renderer is ticking twice as often, it's going to shoot twice as often. And so, and so, so, so we, we could talk about the effect of that, but it's, it's pretty interesting. So that's the game. Uh, there's a, there's a few more really interesting things, which I think we'll definitely get into about like what makes each character special. There's a whole, like in sort of a Japanese RPG, JRPG, strategy role-playing games sort of tradition. There's uh, classes and upgrade paths in the, in the uh, sequels. There's crafting and more customization. There's secret special abilities that you unlock. And then there are, you know, uh, ones that unlock as the story progresses. But there's a lot to drill down. So, Sean, tell me about your relationship with it. Uh, I got this game, um, Valkyria Chronicles, on the PS3 kind of in the, with the same attitude I did when I got Dark Souls. I kind of thought this was going to be a really cool game that people are going to love and really talk about. No one's going to buy it, and it's going to be hard to find in a year or two. And, and I was right. Like, it really has been one of those things that it just sort of, yeah, it got good reviews, but it just kind of came and went. Um, and so when I got it, uh, I played on the PS3 exclusively. I haven't even tried the PC version. I've just been so busy with other releases and stuff. Um, but uh, I played the hell out of the PS3 version. And that real time running around, being shot actively while you're running around, it's, it took me a while to actually get my head around that. I was really confused at first. Like, why do they keep shooting? This is a tactical game. Like, why am I standing here just getting shot to shit? Because you really need to take your time to aim sometimes. Because the difference between when you're running in that third person modality and then you go to aim and stuff, the difference between shooting somebody in the head and shooting somebody center mass, it's going to affect the shot. It's going to affect the percentage chance to hit, the damage you're going to do. So you need to try and balance those two things out. And they do give you all that information, which is really nice. And it just, it took me a while to get my head around it because it's trying to scratch so many different itches all at once when you're actually in the game fighting it's not just turn-based and it's not just real time but it kind of hits both of those sweet spots in terms of your decision making and i was looking at the wiki just to kind of refresh my memory a bit on who made it and stuff and they call the battle system uh blitz which stands for battle of live tactical zones <laughs> sums it up right there the blitz system and you it there there's a definite sense of you're constant it's not it's not a game uh, where you can just sit back 
and just pick people off and wait. Like you, it really forces you need to push forward. You really need to keep moving to actually be successful. At that it. does some interesting things too. Just I think if you play a lot of these games, you're really used to having all day to think about your move. You know, you're you're playing XCOM. The you know those aliens are just going to sit there and wait for you to come out, and vice versa. Um, and if there is like sort of combat happening, it's just kind of like an animation loop that is kind of meaningless from a, from a um from a tactical standpoint but it's actually a really weird change and kind of a, a change in mindset that you have to make to when you cross into the open your guy starts getting taking fire and getting chunked out the more people have line of sight on them the harder they're getting hit and so it kind of is this disruptive like you're under fire, and immediately you need to be thinking like, "Where's this, where's this guy going?" It gives it a weird, like, almost shootery pacing to kind of that matches mm-hmm. up with the perspective. And and uh, you know, I think we can we'll talk about sort of the, the the value of it as a tactics game, and we'll talk we can talk about difficulty. Um, but this specific point, I think, is for me as a designer, like super super interesting, and and sort of I can I can sort of all dig into why is I find a lot of the time in turn based sort of grid based tactical games, um, it often devolves into trying to bait someone into making a mistake, pushing forward, and whoever gets the first shot wins. Um, and so there's that, and then there's also like it's kind of this weird. Um, Overwatch is a thing. Overwatch has been a thing for as long as I can remember. Um, But what I think it fails to do is make this connection between the effectiveness of Overwatch and the distance and the terrain that needs to be traveled. And by adding the, the variable of time, when it's like damage per second, and the players are moving in real time, so they're moving at like meters per second. All of a sudden, you now have a direct, a direct relationship between distance covered and the amount of damage it takes to do it. So crossing a very, very short distance is relatively simple, but crossing a long distance is actually quite deadly. Um, and then that's sort of coupled with the cover system, which is it's it's not it's not particularly. Uh, you know, inventive or anything like that. It's, you know, you get minus one for being in soft cover, minus two for being in hard cover, and you get an additional minus one for being laid down. And and it, I think it, it makes you have to take more hits and improve, improves your armor. And when all these things are coupled together, it means that positioning is important. <laughs> that um, using your command points to move a, a unit um, rather than just to shoot becomes like a really viable strategy. And as I mentioned before, in the PC version where now Overwatch becomes a really, really powerful, especially as for anti-infantry, it doesn't have that much relevance for um, armor, uh, your tanks and your heavily armored infantry. But but what it does is it means that positioning is really important. Um, and so I found myself in this playthrough, I've been playing it through very, very differently, as I remember, and also very, very differently from the from the previous, uh, the, uh, the PSP versions of the game. I'm spending a lot more time evenly distributing my activation points. So that's another unique thing about Valkyria Chronicles, is you can, you can activate the same unit more than once, and each time you do, it becomes less and less effective. They get less movement points, they get less, they can travel for either distances, etc. Um, but it was still really viable to sort of like repeatedly activate your ace and, you know, clean out a map or sprint forward and reach an objective. Um, but now I think it's, it's a little bit different. And I think it's actually, it's quite better. You, you, you start moving your units more together, you take cover, you take ground that requ- requires the enemy to, to, to close a distance. 
and that that feeds right into their potential system and a whole bunch of the other stuff. Yeah, and, and really managing the command points is something that I, I really appreciated about it more and more as I went, because I'm really used to that idea that when you're playing a turn-based or any kind of strategy game, every unit has a certain amount of action points and things they can do, and then that's their turn for that round. and That's it. And and the fact that you can really get yourself in trouble by like shooting at somebody and then pushing forward and pressing the advantage, <clears throat> pressing the advantage, and every time you do, you're you're basically spending command points on being able to do less and less with one character, you can really get yourself, you know, with your ass flapping in the breeze, like really push far in enemy territory without having the support in place. So it it both rewards the aggressive play, but it also <clears throat> really punishes you if you get if you don't maintain your balance really well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, Trent, like going back to the point about Overwatch, <clears throat> we've all been in those situations like is particularly in let's say XCOM, right? Or XCOM multiplayer, <clears throat> where two two teams have just set up kill zones and I'm not coming through that. I'm not coming through there. When you move first, it kind of ends up in that situation because Overwatch is such a commanding ability. Um, here, definitely, once you set up a kill zone that people have to funnel into, then all those units hammering away becomes a lot more effective. And that is the point about positioning that you that you brought up earlier. But the other thing I enjoy that's going on here is that it's still really effective to get super aggressive and run someone straight up the gut, march up to a guy right in his face, go to aiming mode. And it's, it's, it's really, there's a whole bunch of clever, really intuitive systems in this game. Like the reticle, the aiming reticle, you, just, you hit R1 to bring up your aiming, your, your, your aiming reticle. And within the circle around the crosshair, that is your, that's your error bar, basically, on your shot. So when you're firing at someone far away, there's a lot of empty space in that in that frame, and you can miss a lot of shots, and that's gonna that's gonna impact um, your, your probability of hitting. But if you're right up in a guy's face, and the circle now just fills his hel- his helmet fills the circle, you're just gonna rack up headshots, and that person's gonna be dead. And so right there, you've just chunked down an enemy, uh, pretty much guaranteed kill. And that's going to immediately have an effect of slacking the incoming fire that you're having to take as you move around. Mm. So there's this there's this cool. Um, it it both rewards positioning, but then it doesn't it doesn't fall into the trap of becoming too static, too defensive a game because the reward for smart aggression is really really high here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think. I think layered onto that is another feature, which I, I personally don't think they surface to the, 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 the top as much as they should, and that's the potential system. So I've mentioned it a couple times, and I'll, I'll go into it. Uh, so uh, this is a game where you have named characters. Every character is unique. They have a backstory, and it, and it goes to some degree whether or not they're like a main character or whatever the case, and they have a set class, which can evolve. And what, what I think really makes the characters interesting is they have, um, one, a sort of a set of likes and dislikes. So it's, it's people they like working with, people they don't like working with. And when they do, they, they get bonuses and they'll help each other out. And when one shoots, the other one will shoot, etc. And then they have these things called potentials. And these are modifiers and special abilities that uh, trigger off of a number of different things. So it can be... Um, hate sand. Hate sand or likes working in the dark or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, based on triggers, these will sort of occur. So if you start the turn on sand, you might lose half of your action points. If you, um, but, but, so what's interesting and what I think they don't surface is that they're all triggered based on terrain. And so 
each character is typically uh, associated with a terrain. And so when we talked about that relationship between um, d defense and, and calculated offense, you can actually like, play into that. And this is a Japanese game that gives you a ranking and it rewards you for playing a mission over and over again. And if you know that um, there's a scenario that the enemy is going to create a kill zone in a grassy meadow, you might then bring, you know, one of these, you know, former field hands as opposed to someone that's from the city. And when you pick that scout and they're running through tall grass and they get shot at, one of their potentials might trigger. And it might be like some luck thing where they, they dodge the, the incoming bullets. And so I think there's, there's a lot of different systems here um, that maybe weren't as clear. And I think that might have been one of the reasons why it wasn't as successful. Um, apart from sort of generic conventions, but uh, I think it, it maybe went unnoticed because there's a lot of clever stuff that is a little bit hidden too deep. Mm -hmm. and, and the way they handle death too is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, when you're looking at those potentials, because I believe when you're leveling up, you're leveling up classes, you're not really leveling up individual characters. So it's, it's a little bit different from some of the other, you know, JRPG um, strategy RPGs that are out there. With this, it's, if you die, if you if a character dies, you've got basically three turns to get to that character and evacuate them, you know, get them out and safe, uh, or they're gone forever. So it does have that sort of high stakes part of it where you've really got to stay on top of your character death stuff. Because if somebody happens to have some good potentials that really you really like and happen to work really well, that can be devastating. Uh, I'm curious if you guys tend to uh, restart missions. Uh, if, if you lose someone like that, or do you just eat it? That's always the big question. Um, I ended up mostly eating it because the thing is there's every, like it's, it's interesting. There's, there's so many things I enjoy about this game, like the blend of permadeath and not, there are certain characters that are inviolable. These characters are either, if they die, the mission is over, or if they, if they go down, they will magically be fine for the next mission. Uh, so you've got your two main characters, um, Welkin and Alicia. And then you've also got um, basically the, the, these two other archetypal, the, they're the, the hero archetypes for their classes. Um, there's Rosie, uh, who is, um, she's like the assault trooper. And then there's Largo, who's the big hulking uh, guy with the anti-armor lance. And those characters have to survive. They will, they will, they, the plot demands they will continue being alive. So I kind of felt like with my hero characters in place, I usually felt confident that if I had a few casualties, I would still be fine in the course of the campaign, which is not a feeling I would get in a game like Jagged Alliance, for instance, where like if my ace just went down from a freak headshot in the first like round of a battle, that might actually be my campaign bleeding out there. So we're gonna reload that. Here it's like if it's just another if it's just another red shirt, even a good red shirt that I kinda liked, ultimately like it was a noble sacrifice, but I'm probably going to roll. Mm -hmm. I think there's two other sort of game mechanics that we should talk about. Um, the first one I think is relatively easy to, to dismiss, and that's this the, the command. So your the main hero, Welkin, he gets a sort of he basically gets spells. You can instead of activating units, you can use command points to do things like heal a character from far away or call an infantry and. Um, there were ones that I thought were super helpful. They never really broke the game. In the PSP game, if this is equal, you end up using them, I think, a little bit more. And we'll get to more into why that's the case. Um, but I don't know. Did you did you really find yourself utilizing the commands that often? Not that much. No. 
not a ten. They were so situational for me, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I mean, I used them when there was the perfect moment to be like, ah, this is why this yeah. command exists. But for the most part, it's like, I need to just move that freaking tank around and get in a position to shoot someone. Yeah, and then that's the other thing, and that's the tank. So you get a tank. The Edelweiss. <laughs> the Edelweiss, which, uh, so this is this this mobile piece of, of terrain. That, and That was hanging out in the kid's garage, by the way. Right, so, 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 so <laughs> like, it's, like, I don't know, like, it's this little bakery town that's sort of the stand-in for Holland with windmills, but then they also have a tank. Well, it was the hometown <laughs> of Welkin's dad, who just happens right. to have been the greatest hero in the country's history, and right, unbeknownst right. to him, even though he's lived there his entire life, in the opening chapter of the game, as the town comes under attack... They fend off the first waves of infantry as, as sort of tutorial, and then you have, you're introduced to the tank. It's like, oh god, the enemies have a tank, and this thing will just destroy infantry. How are we ever going to fight this thing? Welkin goes back to his house to get his sister out, and she's like, oh, um, well, maybe we should use the tank that I've been keeping and maintaining and practicing on in the in the <laughs> barn outside. And he's like, yeah, I guess we should do that. And so, oh. and it's it's a tank from the last war that is still like. Just built to last. Like, it's still just a world-class armor-fighting <laughs> vehicle. Uh, but not as much as they, they say. Like, at the start, it's introduced, like, this is still an advanced tank, and uh, the people who designed it were brilliant. Um, it's a light tank, and it cannot go toe-to-toe with a lot of the enemy armor. So it really becomes this... If you if you know World War II tactical games, it is a Sherman, basically. And you just got to be circling around and getting those flank shots, because if you get in a slugging match... The Edelweiss is good for a lot of things, but a toe-to-toe blasting battle is not it, not one of them. So I think one of the great things that it's useful is getting in the way. <laughs> so I think I think one of the one of the really great things we talked about the kill zones, we talked about all these things, and one of the greatest things that you can do with this tank, and it's so perfect, is you just run it in front of your troops. You can like maybe run down some stuff. You can blow up some sandbags, but also what you're doing is you're now breaking line of sight. And you can then run your characters up behind it uh, with your engineer fixing it if they're shooting at it with lancers. And, and it's sort of a way to sort of like Trojan horse your commanders. It's very battlefield, right? It's great. It's very battlefield. And it works so very well. Um, you have to be a little bit um, careful because of the sort of the turn-based nature. Like if you if you push the tank up too far, you potentially are exposing your characters when they try to run some distance. But... In general, I think it's a pretty solid tactic. Although when you're using the tank, you really got to be mindful of their glowing blue ass. Um, you know, because they like they, one of the things that Valkyrie Chronicles does, uh, which is really very it's, it's a question of style, is it does have that sort of soft palette, that kind of watercolor look to it. But like the tank, when it's moving around, it's you know, the weak point on it because it glows like it actually has this unearthly glow on the back of it telling you where the weak point is and it and it and it doesn't just like make that noise for a tank that the letter the r letters actually come out the back of it as you're moving around like like the whole game has like these vroom shoot 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 like it, there's words flying on the screen all the time like uh, it, it's really um it, it's not something you can kind of overstate with like Kiri chronicles how adorable this war well, is and I think that these are all actually really smart decisions to make a game that's a war game that's going to appeal to people who don't necessarily play war games. Like, 
everyone who like plays tank games is like of course the flank armor and the rear armor like if that gets exposed you're just dead but if you're not used to that stuff then a really clever thing to do is just use one of the oldest tropes in the book from every like action game and rpg like hey here's the weak point here's the big glowing thing do not expose the big glowing thing or you're screwed but definitely try to hit it um so the game takes a couple of turns um, I think one of the really interesting things, first thing that you encounter is uh, there's this one level with a super tank. Okay, I want because I want to talk about this. I, I definitely yeah. want to talk about because this is a controversial level. I know people who hate this level. They're like, I just quit. I like I hit the super tank and just hell with this game. And I had some of my most vivid freaking yeah. moments in this level. It's basically it's ogre. It's the ogre. It's the ogre. Yeah. It's the ogre level. Yeah, but fun. <laughs> Alright, well, so I Rabbit is on, on, on his way over to, like, cut your throat right now. I'm going to hit tomorrow. <laughs> he can take care of it there. But, um, uh, so, you want to t- t- tell me about, tell me about your, your great moments. Well, so, it, yeah, so if, you, if you're not familiar with the game Ogre, it's a cool little asymmetrical war game where there's a super tank, and its job is to basically crawl across the map, and you have, unfortunately, nothing but, like, standard infantry, artillery, regular tanks, uh, and so it's the classic mismatch of the big, slow, heavy thing with just unlimited firepower, and then all the more maneuverable, smaller things that will just get torn up uh, if, if they get hit. So the super tank level... It's a land dreadnought that's out in this desert level, and it will travel. It will travel a road that's clearly marked on the map. So it's, it takes this sort of like law. It makes a couple curving turns before it exits, and you got to kill it before it departs the map. But you only have. Um, I'm not even sure you have your tank for that battle, or if you do, it's something you got to keep. You don't. You don't. Yeah. So it's just it's your infantry trying to engage this thing. Uh, which has a ton of escorts around it, um, a ba- is basically invulnerable, and has a lot of firepower on its own. So it's, it's this map where to be out in the open, even more so than usual, is just complete death. Uh, but the trap is you've still got to get close to this thing to like climb up on it and start like destroying it uh, from point-blank range. So... The way this level ended up playing out for me, and the reason it became one of my favorites, is just because it, it, it started playing host to all these like heroic moments from the people in my squad. Like, you know, like uh, the, the, the anti-armor guy who goes sprinting out into no man's land, gets in a firing position, takes an epic shot, lands it, and then just gets wasted uh, by, you know, by, by all the other cover troops. But in the meantime, you get these people running around like some of your characters can heal other characters. So there's also this other game you're playing of running your de facto medics around trying to keep people on their feet. And it just it, it turned into this 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 wonderful game of like cat and mouse where like, you know, is this person worth saving? Do I activate them and try to get them to safety or is this the end of the road for them? Uh, am I going to try to run out there and save that character? Uh, do I fight the tank here or do I need to pick off those escorts? And it was a real, it's a, it was a well-designed scenario. Like in, you know, the first time I played it, I lost it narrowly. And the second time I played it, I, I won it narrowly. But it was this real skin of the teeth type moment. And it's, it's the kind of scenario that you don't find in traditional war games too often because it's preposterous. It's a thing that only exists in this video game logic um, of this of this of this level. But it actually makes for a really cool scenario uh, that you never find in a real World War II game. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it was definitely characteristic of, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, one, I thought the setting was great. You're sort of, it's in this like desert with some mesas and it's a new part of terrain and you're sort of running around and you're taking cover from the natural cover and you're leaping onto this giant monstrosity, which is great. And I think it really characterized one of the best sort of moments of the the way all the, the mechanics combine. And that's when you've, when you've done that risky move, that, that push up to the flank, and now you have this exposed character that you know if you, uh, you know that if the player, if the enemy gets their turn, they're wasted. Um, but you have one or two command points left and you realize that like, okay, well, if my sniper hits all three shots and I can use this command, like, you know, it's the one perfect time to use the command or something like that. Or like, if I can use smoke or something like that, like, and, and then it works. Like, it takes the thing that shouldn't work and works. And because it's all explicit, I think I think it's pretty incredible. Um, it, it's fantastic. And I think unlike XCOM, which has those same things with the really explicit numbers, um, for me, XCOM, it was always reactive. I was always, it was always like, I got put in this bad position because I got overwhelmed by these monsters and it kind of felt unfair. And I can get, I can save my guy if I am able to, crit crit hit or not miss with all, any all my characters but i feel as though this scenario has opt-in heroics and then the ways of digging yourself out which just made for some really great moments uh, have we talked about the actual battle map uh in terms of uh, when you actually zoom out and stuff it's such an important part of the game and i, I just kind of realized when we were talking about features we may have glossed over it the battle map here, and it's pretty important in, well, in every map, including this mega tank level uh, as well, but when you're running around in third person, one of the big problems I have with games like this that are tactical in third person and trying to be turn-based is just situational awareness. Where is everybody? How is it relevant? Where is the relative positioning? They do a really great thing. When you're running around in third person, they show you the line of sight enemies have on you with this big arcing sort of beam of light, maybe a disruptor beam of some sort uh, that kind of comes out across the map. So you know exactly where the enemy is relative to you. You know which ones are keyed in on you and which ones have potential to shoot you if you get too close. But then you can bring the map out and it gives you this really great top down view uh, of the map and it represents all the characters and enemies with these little just round chits. So it really does become like a war game style uh, battle view and it makes it really easy to jump around to different points. Um, the, the battle map uh, in this, uh, in case you're worried that because it's a 3D third person kind of game, it's going to be tough to keep track of everything, like say when you're trying to take that down this giant tank, it's actually very manageable. And in terms of managing your firing lines, your approaches, your flanking, um, the battle map actually makes it really quite lovely to, to move around in. And I kind of like the, the, the small challenge of translating what you just saw on the map to what you're seeing through the action camera as you're running around. Like, okay, I know I need to be looking for, I need to get around this house and there should be cover right there, but did I get turned around a little bit? There's these little hesitations as you're running around, people shooting at you, as you try to remember, like, okay, where exactly am I headed? Uh, there's a little inset map, but the the over the full overhead map has really got the most details, the easiest to read. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a very nice map, and... Um, I'm a real sucker for just how clearly it delineates like all the cover points, it, like everything you need to know about surviving this level is right there. Yeah, I, I and I think that this is sort of where um, 
this is maybe like the one or an aspect of that 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 sort of I, I think it, it follies and it really I think it's a it's a point of of, uh, of opinion is I think all that delineation is super important and I think it also combines with an AI that is uh, in in parts heavily scripted so there is some reaction but there's definitely you know characters that do that and then a ranking system and the level design that allows for uh, flanking allows for sneaking around and uh, approaching enemies from behind so they don't get the overwatch. It allows for the clever movement of your um, anti-tank troops to hit the radiators in the back of it, the, 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 the enemy tanks. And what this all sort of boils down to is, is some of the levels can feel kind of puzzly. And I, or, and I think that you're making tactical decisions in between there and positioning matters, but, um, I think the the worst levels, I felt like there was the right the right way to do it, especially if you were going after like the high ranks, or you were trying to kill the optional bosses, which are there are these sort of like named characters on the enemy side, and if you kill them, you get a, a you get a special piece of equipment, um, or maybe that's only in the PSP game. I remember in the I, in the in the super tank level, there is a boss character, a hero, mm-hmm. but I think she's so overpowered that like she is there as a moving obstacle. Like so, there yeah, there are there are anyway. So but the, but the but the point being is like you know there was like one level which which it you were trying to defend a uh, you're trying to defend and it's very early on you're trying to defend the uh, the city wall, the city door, the town the, gate, the, yeah, the, yeah, 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 the town gate, right. And if you want to S-rank that, one of the things that you can do is uh, an enemy will always come running up and throw grenades at it. And right there are some sandbags that you can use as defense. But if on your first turn you throw a grenade, you blow up your own defenses. When two turns later that little enemy runs up to throw his grenade, it no longer can benefit from the cover and it's just going to die. Um, and you don't even have to shoot it because of the overwatch. So like there are these little sort of like puzzle things that I know like some listeners may not, may not like, I think it's a little less, um, uh, a little less puzzly than something like Panzer general, but uh, yeah, much less so than that. And I, I think it's saving grace is that not every level is going to follow this pattern. There's some that are just mm-hmm, straight mm-hmm. up firefights, you know, street, you know, street warfare or, um, storming trench lines and that's the thing like it's one of these things where there there are going to be levels that are going to annoy you or 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 frustrate Mm -hmm. you and that's going to vary from person to person the cool thing is it's never going to be that game for that long it's the the challenge is going to change so just you know stick out this level and you'll be on to something else um and some of the level design is 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 quite cool um and they throw a lot of interesting twists at you i i you know, there's one scenario that sticks out in my head. Uh, again, while you're out there in the desert, um, you're trying to storm these trench lines in the middle of a sandstorm. Right. And yeah. so yeah. The, the storm blows in and just lines of sight are cut to zero. Uh, but I think I think it cycles, right? I think it lifts from time it to does. time. And so you'll get shot up in the open, but then the storm closes in and it allows you to sneak up in these tanks. Kind of cool atmospheric levels. Um so I, I, I appreciate that there are levels that are going to be frustrating in that way. And there's certainly some that feel like they're really open exploitation. Uh, but fortunately, it never behaves according to any one, like, template for a level for too right. long. 
Um, and this is a fairly handcrafted kind of game. You're not going to run into mo- into randomly generated levels. You're not going to go into like randomly generated skirmishes uh, like that. When you go into the step, these levels are built. The enemy placement is set. Um, and even there's lots of scripted events that happen. Just you'll be halfway through a mission. And it's like, oh, oh, right. There's a tank now. And you got to go figure out how to deal with that. And it just blows up your whole strategy because you were trying to just take a point, And now you've got to deal with the tank that's just come in. So like there's a lot of times where it really just very very tightly scripted and definitely not quite so random as you might think. And I, and I can't, I can't stress how important that is. And it becomes really, really evident in the PSP games where, um, that hand craftedness, like clearly they had smaller budgets and greater restrictions. And so along with much, much smaller maps and, uh, and connected maps, they have random skirmishes and things start feeling a little bit more procedural than they do handcrafted, and they start becoming really exploitable, and that's the that's that to me is the largest problem with the PSP games, is that they they become very very simple, and uh, not all of them, but for the first two thirds of the game, or for maybe most of, most of the game, two thirds of most of the game, uh, there is like this dominant strategy of just like you run your scout up, and a lot of it is like uh, take and hold missions, and it, and it's hold it for a turn, and uh, and because they're sort of uh, likely procedurally generated they're they become easily exploitable and it's much less of an interesting game and that's one of those personal gamer questions like are you playing to win or are you playing to have a challenge like when you find an exploit or something that just works really really well do you lean into it uh, i'm i'm kind of a halfway i try not to and then if things are going poorly i just pull the i just pull the ripcord <laughs> yeah yeah um i tend to be the same way I will, I will give it a good shot but when i begin to feel like usually it's when i begin to feel like the game is sort of screwing me then i will screw it right back right like if i feel like the level's kind of contrived to begin with uh and i'm just sort of getting trashed because it's designed to sort of lay waste to me at a certain point i'll be like you know what you're a- we both know your AI can't handle it if a guy's parked right here and you'll just run right past him and get killed. So uh, go to hell. I'm putting him right there. <laughs> and and that that's kind of how I play it. But it, yeah, I definitely have this uh, pu- push-pull relationship with uh, exploits and, and cheese. Yeah, I, I just will exploit something over and over and over again and then complain it's about like, not It's like you're a punishing time, the so. designer, right? You're just like, how dare you? <laughs> but I'm punishing myself. My time is, you know, relatively valuable. I can be playing another another better game and not ruining it for myself. It's just, I'm just sick. There, there's there's something else. Um, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're thinking about getting into this game, what are your positions on the English versus Japanese voices? This is an important question because well, it will affect your enjoyment of the game. I can't handle the Japanese voices. Yeah, um, they're not great here. Um, you know, I'm I'm I am the guy who does watch anime with subtitles yeah. and and actually enjoys it quite a bit. Um, it's not great here, and, and 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 I think that actually the English voice work is pretty solid, uh, especially given that this probably wasn't like a major AAA uh, budget. Item. Yeah, it's. Um... I think the Japanese voice acting is a train wreck. And yeah, I'm the same way. I will like not watch most uh, you know, anime if if it doesn't have subs. I, I don't want to hear because there was this there's this horrible tendency in like the early 90s, late 80s where dubbed yeah. anime just had the most terrible voice acting. Uh there's a burly character it was always going to be like, "What do you mean?" It was just terrible. <laughs> so I got in the habit of trying to avoid all of that. Uh, but the problem is the characters in this game, and particularly the women, and particularly Alicia, 
are just unbearable in Japanese. Like yeah. if you have a no, if like just just picture the most annoying, grating like anime characters ever, and it's like just wall to wall packed with those characters. Yeah, it's like it's like it's it's like taking a mouse and using it to scrape on a chalkboard. Like it's so high pitched and piercing. And I tried, and I just remember turning it right off. I don't know. There is an actual anime. I have no idea if the voice acting is better, if it's different. I can't imagine it's the same. But well, let's let's talk about the anime part of this because this is going to be a big question. PC gamers, right? Maybe they maybe they never don't even play consoles. And if you don't play on consoles, you probably haven't had a chance to play many games like this. They will stop mid mission, and two talking heads will pop up onto the screen and go back and forth for a little bit. Um, and, and this is like a, a fairly happy-go-lucky thing. Like Alicia's a bread maker <clears throat> uh, slash now a scout. And, and, it, and it's so this isn't like a gritty, bloody war game per se, although it does touch on some fairly mature themes. There's, there is kind of that question of like, if you're not used to this stuff or if you're not <clears throat> into this stuff, can you transcend it and enjoy this as a strategy game alone? Or is, are you going to have the Troy Goodfellow problem of just like not being able to handle the anime part? So I think that even before that, I think there are some framing issues. Um, so the, the game sort of uses this framing mechanism of a book, and you're, you're telling the tale, and it's divided into chapters. Now, a small there is only a subset of these chapters are actually the tactic battles, and a lot of them are reading or little vignettes. And especially in the early game... There's a lot of vignettes per battle, um, which may be a little too much, too much, you know, chocolate in your peanut butter uh, for some for some players. Um, and then, unfortunately, also is there's no autosave. So players that are trying this for the first time, remember to save. Good lord, yes, yeah, you really, really need to, um, especially especially in a game like this. And and I'm curious then, because you can really, the, the one caveat I'll say is that you can really skip a lot of the story stuff, you know, beyond just yep. pressing the button to skip dialogue. You can also just jump straight into the different uh, missions as well. So you can really get around a lot of it if you're inclined to. How much did you guys enjoy the sort of RPG elements of this? It's not something we've touched on a lot. So when I first played it on the PS3, I was into it a lot more. It was something, it was visuals, I was looking at it. it it's a video game story that, <clears throat> yeah, it's, I, you know, and it's, I, I'm saying that a little derisively and I, I kind of mean it a little derisively. Like, it's not art in terms of... Yeah, it's, it, well, it's, it's not even, it's not in, even in, like, in, it's not even like late model Bioware storyline it is it is basically like my first like my first war story kind of it's it's something that would have been very thematically it's something that would have been very at home on like the snes yeah definitely but i think i remember and it sort of informed i think some of the character relationships and it looks really beautiful in some spots uh this past playthrough i'm not i haven't played through it again but i'm playing through it on PC, I am hitting the skip button as fast as humanly possible. But to the point about the the RPG like character progression stuff and upgrades, I think that it's interesting and it also touches on maybe some of my frustrations with the mission design. Because 
there is okay so the way you gain experience and uh material war material for like upgrading your tanks and stuff so- and stuff like that and your weapons so your characters get experience your gear requires like war material and money uh basically you're given money to to give upgrades to this stuff um and that is dependent on the rank you got in the mission. And me, I like I apparently suck at this game because like I can't S rank a mission mm-hmm. to save my life. Like it is it is Dance Dance Revolution mm-hmm. all over again. You have to play <laughs> um, it perfectly. And it's not remotely clear what perfectly is. Right. Uh, not the first time you play. Mm-hmm. So like if you're playing aggressively and pretty well, you'll get a B. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you play a little more passively and play it safe, you're looking your grades just going down. So here's the problem then. Um, if you're not doing really well, you start getting less and less out of each mission. Um, and so you're going like, and, and so there's, I kind of felt like at times there was maybe a little bit of a, um, a, a, a vicious circle happening where it's like, okay, so I was maybe a little too passive in that last mission. Uh, so now I, I can't upgrade as, as much stuff between missions. I can't promote these characters as much as I might like. Um, so my army's not quite as good for the next mission as maybe it should be. Uh, okay, I better play really defensively and passively here because uh, I now I can't even hit as hard. Really, I'm not as not as combat effective. Uh, so I, I, now I'm sort of forced now to kind of you know it kind of in a, stuck in a race to the bottom uh, as far as as what I'm getting out of each mission. Uh, usually that's usually that is probably still mostly about the tactics I tend to adopt. I tend I tend to be too passive a player and too hesitant on the on the attack. Uh, but I like the way the upgrades work. I like the impact they have. I, I like being able to turn the Edelweiss from a piece of crap into a lethal weapon. Uh, but you know I I do feel like there are some issues in having everything tie into mission performance when mission performance itself is this really arbitrary grade. Yeah, and, and some of those missions can be really long, too. So if you get a bad grade at the end and you're looking down the barrel at taking another hour-long run uh, at a mission and hoping to get better, and, and some of that is just hoping some of the dice rolls go your way, that can be really frustrating. But I don't think that's really unique to, to Valkyria Chronicles in, in any way, shape, or form. I think most strategy games kind of fall into this trap eventually. Yeah, uh, it's it definitely felt sort of like a first pass at a at, at what would become a sequel. I mean, there's there's I think spots where they wanted to fill some stuff in, and they they did in the sequels. And so in the sequel, um, they sort of blow out the JRPG stuff. Um, they take a step back. Um, this is it's it deals. Uh, it's like two years after the events of the, or it's, it's in the future after the events of the the first game. Um, instead of college kids, they're like high schoolers. So they're like 14, 15 year old. They're part of a military academy. They get wrapped up in a civil war. And it sort of has like you in between battles, you deal with like school stuff. So they go to class and they like, Damn. They, like oh my God. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. And, That's so good. And, and, and you like, you like, you like help your friends get dates and decide whether they want to join the f- sports team. Yeah, it's really, really crazy. Oh my and, god, does Senpai notice you? And oh yeah. <laughs> and then like and like and like the new the the new kid shows up and, and it has this like underlying like the, the sort of the, the sub the sub game or the sub narrative it, it sort of deals with uh, exploitation of the indigenous population of 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 the population. So like so like 
when the 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 exchange student shows up, you know that's a thing. How are you going to deal with racism? Um, and there's also increased training. You have more than one uh, potential uh, uh, armored vehicle you can bring up. There's a whole crafting system. There's like they they add in all these like subsystems and things to play with, and there's all these different locations. But they still use the grading system and they're all dependent on you, like kind of knowing what you're doing, which is sort of where my like ex my like will to just exploit was like, if I keep getting C's like playing this the normal way, I'm not getting the, the specific crafting resources. I'm not killing the named, you know, enemies before my timer runs out. I'm not doing this stuff. I'm going to go back and I'm just going to like grind out some of these missions to just get some of it stuff. Right. They also have this great little reward system where, um, so in the they sort of tweak the potential system, and in order to unlock potentials, you have to get like merit badges basically, and you do that by doing special things in the the game. So it's like the student that heals the most players may get you know the most helpful student in their yearbook uh, sticker, cool. right? <laughs> and so they have to get a certain number of these com commendations. I think it might be commendations. We'll call them merit badges before the potential unlocks. And so you're also doing this sort of stuff, but that doesn't always optimally lead you to get the A rank or the S rank. So it's great. There's a lot to dig your teeth into. There's a lot of like really crazy Japanese role-playing stuff that's kind of fun to play with. But now the system's just pulling completely apart from each other. And, it's, and, it, and, and then it's all hinged on the battle system is way worse because of the smaller yeah. maps and because of the stuff. Mm. Oh, and it's still totally worth playing on a plane, though. I noticed in the in the sequel that there's like fencer units, so you can actually have a unit that has a sword and a shield and no gun. Yep, yep. they expand on the classes. They have branching paths, so you get guys with flamethrowers, you get mortars... You get snipers that have these like super anti-tank sniper guns. Um, you get uh, light machine gunners rather than just submachine gunners. There's you get you get guys that can lay mines. Like they they really blow it up. And uh, but again, all these systems require like you getting us like in order for you to follow one of the tier two class paths, you have to get a certain number of commendations. And then that unlocks a bunch of new weapons that you have to upgrade independently that require this rare resource that may or may not drop, you know, that this sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, so, I, so here's my question. <clears throat> why do you think this kind of, why do you think this didn't click back in 2006, 2008, 2008? 2008. Yeah, it was back in why, Yeah, why, why, why do you think it, uh, why do you think it kind of ended up falling flat? I think it was trying to be too many different, I, I think it was trying to be... These kind of games haven't sold well for a long time. Uh, going uh, even now, but even back then, I mean, this predates XCOM. You know, the rebooted XCOM and stuff. Like, you know, this this is a game that came out exclusively on the PS3, which is kind of a problem. Uh, even back in 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 2008, 2008 is probably more of a problem because yeah, there, it was, so. it was you know. just coming back into like affordability yeah. range. Mm -hmm. But right up until till 2008, I think the PS3 was still kind of. I think it was. I think it was either five or six hundred dollars. It was six hundred at launch, and yeah, I think it was five hundred for a good long while. Back. Yeah, so it it was just it really put itself into a tough position and it's kind of a tough sell. Uh, it's, it's not like today where we do get most of these games on the PC day and date, uh, which makes a big difference. 
Um, but you know, it's like it's it, it's it's a relatively hardcore strategy game, and that's not really something we saw a lot of. Um, and it didn't is like is like anything else. It just couldn't sell itself. It, there there really wasn't one thing you could hang on it as like this is the game you want to play. It's not like the you know when Bioshock was Bioshock was coming out, like they had Ken Levine out there saying this is a kick-ass shooter. This is a really kick-ass shooter, you guys. This ain't, this ain't your, your mom's system shock. This is a kick-ass shooter. And in the same way here, I don't think anybody, uh, I don't think they really could kind of get out and like have one really good thrust as far as marketing it and getting the word out. There, there is, I think, another point here too, just about like maybe outside of a handful of designers, I think a lot of Japanese studios and designers sort of remain unknown uh, to their audience. Like we, like we, we were asking ourselves before the show, where the hell did this game come from? Who actually made it? And on the game's Wikipedia page, you'll discover the 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 developer was. Uh, Sega General Entertainment R and D department. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Like I kind of, like I'm still kind of wondering like what like okay what is, like does like is this a prototype that kind of took on a life of its own and escaped the lab one day? Like it's Sega's moon base. That's it. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're still up there. Actually, it's basically like Iron Sky. There's like they're up to Valkyria Chronicles twelve or something. That's right. Like, um, uh, yeah, I think I think everything there that we sort of played into. I think I I think there's probably more sort of people like Troy who couldn't get past the voiceovers or the, you know, the, the visual style, the fact that you're, you know, it's not a, like if it had been a Tom Clancy game, I think maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, uh, but see, and here's the thing though, because to me, I was like, oh, this looks so different and amazing. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what got me into it. Before I knew anything about the game, I was looking at the art style and I was like, anime World War II. Okay, cool. You, you like you have my interest. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. So, so totally. But it, but like, there is this thing of like, you can get on TV, on on Spike TV. And you can get on a stage and you can have, like, a gun that is also a chainsaw. Like, that's <laughs> like that's how you sell 5 million copies when there's only 7 million, 7 million uh, in, you know, machines Concepts, out there. Yeah. If you're Ken Levine and you can go out there and you're like, you have a gun, that's great. But you can also, like, electrocute someone and then turn them into ice and then blow them up into a million pieces. Like, and then that's how you get you know, people to write about it. The stories write themselves about this sort of stuff. And there just wasn't, I think, <laughs> like, like if I gave that speech about like damage per second and then meters per second being like super relevant and this isn't your grandma's overwatch. Like, that's <laughs> the crowd, the crowd of the VGAs would come to their feet. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. And of course it would be through a translator too, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, um, yeah, so you know, I wouldn't know how to market it. Yeah, like, I don't know either. Like you're, you're, you play a, a group of Dutch alternate dimensional Dutch bakers uh, in, in an anime in, in World War II, except it's not Earth, but kinda. Uh, like, like there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of stuff here uh, going on. But I think the, the really important fact here uh, is that this game came out in 2008. It just came out on PC and it's twenty dollars. Yeah, that, 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 this doesn't happen. The, the, this does not happen. Sega's too busy churning out really awful Sonic games for years now. I don't know what happened. Like, God, I, God, I hope no one who made this game is working on a Sonic game. Like, uh, I, the, like, <laughs> like, like, like I hope everyone in the R and D department just died. <laughs> 
<laughs> like they built it. They they're, they're shut in there, like the Ferris tubes <laughs> closed. Like, no one must know how this they, was made. <laughs> they, they finished this, they didn't sell enough, and then they just came back and said, okay, you need to R&D the shit out of some more shitty Sonic friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're still trying to figure out why was Sonic ever good? <laughs> we need our best people on it. Um, Top men. Oh, so, man. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I hope it finds a new life. Um, I think that uh, the PSP games are 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 good. I haven't played the third one because it hasn't had a translation. I think I'd like to. I heard I I've heard it's better than the second. It fixes a lot of the issues. Um, there's a couple of card battler games in Japan on the mobile phone which I'm totally not interested in. But I'd like to see more of the stuff I am, and that's like I would love to see. Another one of these on well, PC. There's a couple of things that it's it's just kind of weird, right? Because like within just a couple of years, I think Sega as a company really changed. Yeah, they're still cranking out terrible Sonic games, but they're also the Total War publisher at this point. Yeah. Like strategy has become a big part of their business. When THQ went under, they went out of their way to acquire like Relic yeah. and bring them in house. And and so like I kind of feel like the Sega today might have been a little smarter about what to do with this game. And maybe they are. Maybe that's why this game is is finally here. Though I, I this is totally a closing the barn door after the horses have bolted uh, kind of situation. But it did feel there, there was this horrible trap that this entire franchise fell into, which is they released it platform-exclusive PS3, and it was always going to be maybe kind of a hard sell because you're making a tactical strategy game for a console audience. Uh, so that, that was always going to be a bit of a hard sell. It doesn't sell particularly well, and then they decide to basically now... Let's put it on a different platform, one that's struggling even harder than the PS3, and let's put it all over onto the PSP. And when that doesn't perform particularly well, then they don't even bring the third one over. They don't even translate it for an English audience. And it kind of feels like there's this just horrible... There's a horrible wastage in this series. Yeah, uh, where yeah. you know what might have been if maybe it had been if it had been brought over to PC, you know, within the first year. The, the PC, I, I think I get, or the PSP, I think I understand. I, I have to assume that was the decision to make that technology and, and, and to push it around must have been a, a reaction to what Japan was buying. And so there, you know, just in terms of the, the penetration of the PSP in Japan was far greater than it was here. Monster Hunter was so, so big. Like, and I think maybe there was, there was a pull, you know, for that, it, it just never, it wasn't for us. Um, I think would, this PC port would have made more sense if it had come out a year after XCOM. Like, maybe there was an executive there that was like, oh, see, look, America's ready for something like this. Go, 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 go. But XCOM's three years old now. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think they recognize they did have something special. Um, and so I think it's good that they did it. Uh, and who knows, maybe they're keeping an eye on it. I mean, Ubisoft, uh, one of the Assassin's Creed games that came out just for the Vita, uh, eventually Ubisoft made a PC port for it. Now, it's not a very good Assassin's Creed game, but, uh, you know, there is precedent uh, for, for companies taking mobile games and porting them over to the PC. 
David, is it, is it a, mechanically at least? A, does is it still the same game mechanically? Like play like basically with the PSP controls have translated. Was that something you could translate to P, to a PC? Yeah. So mechanically, there was there were a few tweaks. Um, uh, largely, they sort of split up some of the classes. They made some more classes. They added like basically a bard class. So because you're in high school, you could send your like students off to like band and they could, they could be out there and be in marching band. So that was kind of interesting. The biggest thing that I think the takeaway was is they added, I think they added multiplayer, which is why but I think it was like local, like sort of there, but it was the size of the maps. So the PC or the, the PSP could not handle the size of the maps that were there. And so what they did was they took the, uh, the larger maps that that you'd be familiar with the Valkyria Chronicles one, and they divided it into like an A, B, and a C, and and they and when you when you zoomed out to the map, you saw all three positions, and you could have characters in each position, but when they were in A, they were only in A. They can only take fire from A. They cannot affect anything in B, and whatever the case may be. Um, and so, what that meant, and then there were uh, you could there were camps. And so you could you could pull your troopers out of the battle, and then bring in reinforcements to any one of the any one of the camps. And there were far more far far more uh, potential characters. So what ended up happening was is you could really just put down your fastest character, run to the end of the map, capture the the command point, and then. Ascended reinforcements and warp everyone basically, um, and because of that sort of mechanic, I think it became a lot less interesting. Um, I don't know if that got remedied in Valkyria Chronicles Three. I've never touched it. You know, you'd wonder if they could take two and actually just rejigger it for the PC and and put out a and put it out like as a proper sequel and and kind of bring that all bring that all together again a little bit. But that would probably take more resources than just porting yeah. this one did. But it. It, I guess it depends how this one does. Yeah. Um, I feel like it was up there in the in the Steam top sellers for a little while at least. I think it was, and I I have a feeling that on PC that this Thanksgiving um, and Christmas when Sega does their big sales because I think they're they're typically I think they usually yeah. do like either entire catalog sales or they do deep cuts. I think visually this game is pretty stunning, and I think that there's going to be enough sort of like. I think I think it shows up enough because of its rarity, because of if you go to a, a message board and people are sort of talking about the best games of last generation that no one played, this thing pops up. So for a ten dollar curiosity, I I can't I can't imagine not downloading it. Like you yeah. you should put in two or three hours. You'll you'll probably quickly see if it if it pulls on you, um, and I think it will for more people than it won't. Well, yeah, and it, it's it's twenty bucks full price, and honestly, even at that even at that point, I like I still think it's a steal because I mean I think the game is really aged quite gracefully in part because of its its art style and its 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 overall aesthetic, and there's there's simply there simply is nothing else like this. Nobody else really went this direction with the with the tactical game, um, and so if you you know if you've if you kind of played out XCOM and you're you know you don't want to go back to like the days of Jagged Alliance or Incubation or whatever, uh, I think this is this is a really really good option. And um, like I said, when I first played it, I think the the Japanese voice acting got under my skin maybe more than I was aware. Um, I just kind of quietly dropped the game. 
but going back to it uh, with the re-release, I was surprised at just how good a uh, Squad War game it actually was. Because I, I, I remembered it being good for consoles. Now I just kind of think it's, it's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the disappointing thing is is there was one other game that sort of ran with it. Um, it was called Blood Something. It was atrocious, but it was another Japanese game. I don't even remember the developer, but it was World War II. One side had vampires, nice. secret vampires. The other side had secret werewolves. <laughs> and... and it was one of the like the worst. It, it sort of like was it was it time to be like the vampire craze where they like kids love no, the vampires. It, was, it predated this. It I, like I think they, it was just they were like yeah, it would be a Nazi, and then when you shoot him, he gets mad and he turns into a vampire. That's great, <laughs> <laughs> right? And and um, Americans are basically werewolves. Look, they all have beards. <laughs> um, like, I, I, it just it, it, what was frustrating is like it was the one and I can't it's it's not even worth mentioning uh, by name and yet here we are by name but but <laughs> what drives me crazy is that there there was only I like I looked for it and I was hopeful and as a designer I I tried pushing to do stuff like it and um, we just got no traction so like I'm personally invested in this thing doing well on PC because I'd like yeah, to see well, I, I do love the idea of you being like guys Valkyria Chronicles is going to be huge and we got to catch this wave <laughs> it, was, it was never <laughs> it takes a hammer the basement <laughs> and you're sitting there with your like cute little design boner and it just laughs like oh no well back to the salt mines yeah, it was, it was, and then I made mobile games no, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was always hopeful optimism, right? It was, I, it was, I never thought it would work. I never thought it was going to be a multi-million seller. But what I was hoping for was there'll be enough interest and I can get a million, a million and a half dollars and I can make a little version of it. I can make a downloadable version of it and there'll be a space for that. That'll be what, what we'll get on Summer of Arcade and nope. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know something is coming out that it does look a little reminiscent of that, and that is uh, more time, uh, the, the, the more time game, uh, which I think it's I think it's from SMX Cyanide people, uh, so yeah. I'm a little terrified for it. Yeah, um, and and Games Workshop has gotten real loose about how they license their stuff, uh, but it looks really Valkyria Chronicles ish, uh, similar movement system. That I think could be really cool. Um, fingers crossed for that one as well. So more time is, was, was that was my secret game in the pocket. Now I'm not going to lie that. Pitch, oh no. I remember, I remember you getting drunk at a rabbit con yeah. and telling me like, you ever heard of more time? Yeah. <laughs> and then you described in detail, in boozy, glorious detail, <laughs> why more time is so good. Yeah. And, and, and that pitch at Hothead was secretly just about Cure Chronicles and then more time. Um, but, so um, someone got that pitch document basically and, and is running with it. <laughs> no, they just took the game and I just copied the game. Uh, but, um, but, so I'm I'm super excited and super worried. Yeah, well, it is on early access. You know, you can you can get in on that for we can take a look. Thirty five yeah. bucks. 
Maybe I should reach out to their PR and uh, we can all rally up and talk more time oh, uh, in, in, before I, Christmas. I, book me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But in the meantime, um, everyone should have a great Thanksgiving as they enjoy Valkyria Chronicles uh, over this holiday weekend. Uh, because David really wants more of this to be coming out on PC. <laughs> and really, like if, if we don't if we don't all get behind Valkyria Chronicles, um, his life as a designer is just going to be a shambles. Uh, so we've really we've really got to be there for him and rescue him from mobile games so that tactical 3D war ga- 3D wargaming can be like <laughs> can be the new system seller. Come on, he works with the lesser of the beams right now. We got to get him up. <laughs> it's like a discre- the game design roundtable needs its holy grail. <laughs> it's the All best right. beam. <laughs> All right. It was. Uh, thanks so much for joining me here on Thanksgiving Eve, guys. Uh, it's been fantastic talking with you about this uh, about this game. You can get it on uh, Steam for twenty dollars, probably cheaper during the Steam sale. Um, we'll be back next week with once again something. I am sure uh, we still we still got our, our top people on it. We've got the R the three moves ahead R and D department figuring out next week's show. It's Fire Emblem. You're gonna do Fire Emblem. <laughs> you want to? You love it. <laughs> it is it is on the list actually uh i've just got to figure out how i'm going to handle the 3ds issue uh but anyway uh as always our thanks to michael hermes for putting this episode together uh especially if you get this before next week because that means michael did some wizardry uh in between three family thanksgivings so yeah uh I don't know when you'll be hearing this but uh if you hear it before next week it's 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 thanks to michael um have a great holiday, everybody, and we'll be back next week. Good night. Night. Night.